0: Hey, this is Anthony Scott Burns, a.k.a. Pilot Priest, and you're listening to Paradise Arcade.
1: The Paradise Arcade contains graphic language. Listener discretion is advised. paradise arcade with kyle and derek promoting synthwave music and culture welcome to another episode of the paradise arcade uh this week we have a very special guest anthony scott burns aka pilot priest welcome to the show anthony
0: thanks for having me guys
1: yeah thanks for coming oh, on thanks for having me, uh, hey
0: man thanks yeah <laughs> thanks for having me on the show <laughs> Probably laughing right at of the gate. Oh, that's This is going to be a good. good
1: one. Yeah, it's got awesome. Uh, before we go any further, uh, please uh, like us on social media. Share all that stuff. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, you can find our podcast on all fine podcast uh, providers. So got that out of the way. Um, you have been a very busy man, Anthony. Uh, your movie, yes. um, Come True, just hit and that's been a project you've been working on for quite a while
0: for years now. Yeah. I've been working on it for, uh, well in truth, I think seven years, but you know, from the point we started shooting till now, uh, about f- four years, Yeah, to come. we were hoping it would come out last year, but then of course COVID hit. So.
1: Yeah. Cause I think I saw a uh, Instagram post from 2017, where you showed yeah. just the front page of the script
0: yeah yeah that's when we started shooting
1: so how does it feel now that it's out
0: uh it's a little surreal actually uh because the film has been very well received which i did not expect um i thought that people would hate a movie where it runs on dream logic because you know i'm every once in a while someone will hop on Letterbox and talk about how bad of a screenwriter i am uh <laughs> based on that fact uh but but yeah, the, the idea of making a movie that was that is a dream uh, and runs on dream logic and functions as a dream in our reality as well uh, was a weird, you know, undertaking. And it was something that I thought would be, you know, more for experimental film lovers. But then it just, I don't know. It, it sort of took off, and people are enjoying it. And It really makes me happy because it may, means that as an artist, I'm connecting with people, and that's really. exciting and most important part for me
1: absolutely uh it's one of those movies it to me i guess it makes sense that it's doing well because it seems to be i don't know maybe thematically or cinematically um in tone similar to other things that have been really popular. or people that have had a taste for maybe the surreal surreal or um dreamlike qualities of it and you know it looks amazing cinematography is is spectacular and it's a really engaging story and you know the lead actress she just puts on an amazing performance in this movie yeah She's great. so I- i'm really curious how uh, I mean, what was the the genesis of this movie what made you put this particular movie out have to make it
0: well Anyone who's listened to any interviews or <laughs> read them so far is going to get sick of this explanation. Yeah, but sorry, yeah. The, 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 to anyone who hasn't, uh, what, uh, how this started was um, I had, had sleep paralysis when I was a kid, when I was eight years old. Uh, my mother passed away, and I immediately started having these episodes where I would wake up, not be able to move, and be this dark shadow sitting at the end of my bed. And I used to think it was my mom uh, or her ghost or something. And it was just really, really stressful because I couldn't move and I couldn't talk to her. And she couldn't turn around and look at me. And then, you know, over the next few weeks and months, I kept having this as like a recurring dream. And it got scarier and scarier up until the point where I thought that if this thing turned around, I'm dead. Because I realized it wasn't my mom. Um, And then... All of a sudden, as soon as I sort of realized it wasn't her, they went away, these sort of episodes. And I never had them again. And uh, I saw the documentary by Rodney Asher, uh, The Nightmare, and I realized what it was that I had when I was a kid. And it was weird because the explanations that people gave in that documentary of of what they were seeing in their sleep paralysis episodes were very similar to mine. And I thought, isn't that weird that... People who have never, you know, communicated or um, heard of this are seeing the same things. And that to me is is bizarre and interesting because it points to something that I had been currently reading about, which was, you know, Carl Jung's ideas on on dreams and what they mean to us as people. And and for our psychology, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, trying to figure out myself, you know, in my 30s, uh, I was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome. And so I was... Up until then, I was very confused as to my thought process. And, and so I was reading up on psychology a lot. And uh, it just—it sort of clicked for me that this was a really interesting subject because of the, the connective tissue between all of us, you know, not knowing. Uh, and I mean, obviously now with the internet, uh, people can have a lot more of this, you know, similar vibing uh, just due to the fact that we're all seeing the same stuff. But pre-internet, it was really intriguing to me that that you would have a hallucination that was so similar. And that sort of coupled with uh, a video that I had seen uh, on the Berkeley University uh, website about uh, a technology they were working with that could translate brainwaves, you know, through a neurotransmitter uh, into images and moving images. So what you saw was translated into this weird garbled, um, video uh, without any sort of lensing—it was just brainwaves—and I thought, okay, well, if it's just brainwaves and it's not ocular in any sort of fashion, then, you know, it, it seems to me that eventually we could get to a place where we're seeing what the mind sees when we're sleeping. So,
1: yeah, that's that's a really powerful, I think, uh, motivation, and, and really interesting. What drew you to the the horror elements? Because I think you know, people, the other filmmakers and storytellers have explored dreams, what drew you to the horror aspect in telling the story?
0: Well, one of my favorite movies when I was a kid, it was one of the first horror movies I had seen, it was uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, and uh just stuck around, and, and I just... I really responded to dreams as a way to freak people out and because it is such an unknown space like we really just don't know enough about our own physiology still to understand what's going on um it's mysterious and i think for me mystery and horror are sort of, sort of intertwined um, and i wanted to make a movie that i don't know I mean, I'm drawn to horror movies. Everything I've made so far is horror. Right. Uh, you know, outside of so there's usually sci-fi elements as well, but all my you know my feature film stuff that I'm working on is all horror. And I think part of that is because it's so exciting to do a magic trick and see people's response to it. You know, if I make a great drama, all the things that are happening with the audience are usually internal. Whereas with a scary movie, you get to watch as people enjoy or squirm and like so i don't know horror is just very very rewarding to the people who create it
1: yeah that's interesting i suppose the more visceral reaction that people have to it the better yeah and also just the um the contemplative aspect i think the best parts of horror really they initially grab you because of the the imagery and the horror aspect but stick with you because of the concepts that they present that go to a deeper level
0: yeah yeah we're usually you're exploring your own sort of fears and your own motivations in life and so you're you're asking the question why in a very scary way so that it's entertaining it's the same thing with science fiction great science fiction is is asking questions and, and putting ideas out there while keeping it entertaining enough to sort of i guess trick the audience or now, jedi mind trick them into thinking they were right. just being entertained when they were actually ingesting a bunch of like new and exciting ideas hopefully
1: yeah or you know and uh, addressing i think what uh good horror sci-fi do is is can talk about social issues um in a very guised way but be very mm-hmm. present in what's going on in society and so that's you know it's very interesting, and I, I really appreciate both genres for that. Um, agreed.
0: Agreed. That's why I think I like to play in both at the same time, is that you get double the audience. <laughs> yeah. And you get to sort of like merge those two ideas, because they're, for me, science fiction is, is pretty scary. You know, a lot of the, the concepts that we're coming up with are pretty scary. I, I don't often see uh,
2: technology as an awesome thing.
1: Yeah, I,
0: I should because it helps me a lot, but uh, it, it also scares me.
2: Ro- the I... robot dogs. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> those things are scary! Is that? I, I was
0: working on a project with Lionsgate and Brad Pitt about robot dogs and the sort of the horror that could come from that.
1: Yeah, that that sounds like a very interesting project, and to I'm taking it didn't go anywhere, or
0: um, it's still floating around. We'll see what happens. And <laughs> I, 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 I took a little bit of a detour after my first feature because I quit my first feature because the edit didn't quite go as I had planned, um, you know, through no fault of anybody really except that the, the visions weren't aligned. And so I quit and that sort of derailed my my career for a short burst up until I decided, hey, I'm just going to make my own movies.
1: Yeah, I mean, even as an independent filmmaker, it's such a collaborative process. Uh, process how do you I guess maintain your vision when you've got tons and tons of people involved
0: well in this one we actually didn't have tons and tons of people the actual crew count was five people wow <laughs> and so come true was a different beast uh, it was partly you know I've always believed in having more days on set and more time with actors um, and more time to perfect, uh, you know, their cinematography, et cetera, et cetera. And independent cinema, you don't really get a lot of time. You don't have a lot of money. And so the way we decided to tackle Come True and make it feel a lot bigger than it was, was to take more days with less people. And so we had a very minimal crew and me and my, my producer Nick Who's uh, was on the ground with me, and we just did everything from painting all the, the props to building all the sets. Like, everything was just us and and our good friend Howard. So there was three of us running around, like chickens with our heads cut off, trying to get costumes and everything in place. And I've been to every value village in this area. <laughs> and, like, it just, it was one of those movies. Um, but with the goal of making it so no one could tell. You know, no one can tell this doesn't have a crew. And, you know, right down to usually I would have a dolly grip or whatever. On my first film, I had a full crew. Um, and this one, I had to, you know, employ a robotic dolly so that I could get all those moves and have them be smooth. And it was just sort of fun to figure out how to make a movie differently but have the outcome be the same. Yeah. And, and, and sort of in an effort to, I guess, hack the current... Uh, marketplace versus budgets you know a lot of people don't know that that budgets have shrunk so much for independent and especially independent genre movies that they are they're they're pretty they're really hard they're much harder now to make even though the technology has gotten so much better for how we do things it's just it's much harder to get um, the craftsmen and the people out there to do it so it's it's a big challenge
1: so it's kind of a small miracle that this movie came to fruition then with sort of the, the effort that you had to put into it. Cause it seems like there's a yeah. lot of factors that work against you more than in your favor.
0: Well, I was lucky enough to have um, some veteran producers in the company, Copperheart, who did Splice and Ginger Snaps. Um, nice. And Vincenzo Natale, who directed Cube and Splice and, recently on Netflix in the tall grass, he was sort of my mentor in sort of making sure that people would support the way we do it. Because obviously when we say we're going to go out and we're going to spend such and such dollars and there's going to be five of us out in the middle of nowhere. uh, Are you down? (laughs) (laughs) Like it was, it's, it's a little bit of a tough sell for people. Um, And especially since I had just done a regular movie, you know, and, and a full crew it was uh, everyone was, you know, Wondering whether it would work, but we knew it would because this is how we did all of our films up up until that point. You know, it's just expanding the sort of nature. Um, and so yeah, it uh, it was uh, it was tough to convince people, but once we did, and went, once we started shooting, it was amazing because the actors they love to have all that time, uh, and it's it's kind of like summer camp. Mm-hmm. We're all out there just you know working hard together as a team to make sure that the movie is as best version it can be which I really love that experience you know it's that's the way I want to make movies for the rest of my life so
1: yeah and I think that really comes through uh on the film I mean just all the the performances really seem to be you know natural and engaged and and they really seem to embody those characters you know like I guess like what I've seen is like in really micro budget movies or things like that performances could be a little wooden or you just don't, there's something, you know, that you just don't quite believe, but everyone in the movie it's, you know, it seems like they they're fully embodying their characters and you just see them as who they're supposed to be. So well,
0: that's great. That's great. And you know, some people in the film are supposed to be a little bit more wooden than others because that's sort of me examining archetypes anyways Mm -hmm. you know like the you know the main doctor is is a lot more rigid you know than like dr meyer than you know someone who would actually be heading that but he is definitely an archetype of that character
1: yeah yeah i definitely um and it makes him so much more interesting because he is wooden in that way
0: because you just wonder like weird weird and rigid
1: (laughs) yeah you just you just wonder like What's this person? It, I guess he says a lot by saying not very much.
0: Yeah, no, it's great. It's great. And I, I, uh, it was great to work with. Every, all the cast was. That's, that's the, the other sort of thing we do is when we're casting, we make sure that everyone is a lot of fun to be around because I've been on sets when, you know, some people are a little more uppity than others and it's just not fun to be tiptoeing at your, at your job. I want everyone there having a great time.
1: Yeah. So, and, um, I think it, I think your method has proven successful and I'm excited to see, you know, what this brings for you because like, you know, there's gotta be more opportunities down the pipeline with what you've been able to, to produce in the way that you did it and to be able to, to deliver, I think the quality and the, in the ideas, I think are so well honed in this movie and you just present some very interesting um, thought provoking ideas. It's like, you know, hopefully it's, well, what, what do you get to do now?
0: Yeah, we'll see. You know, that's the good news is that we've proven the method in a way where we don't really need to ask anyone's permission to go and tell a story anymore. And that's good. So anything on top of that is gravy, right? So we can go and make another one of these and it'll be a lot of fun. It'll take a couple of years and, I'm okay with that, but should, you know, something come down the pipe that is really interesting and um, then we'll, we'll entertain doing it. You know, that's kind of the fun and, and rewarding part of this is that we proved the point in that we can just go and keep doing this if we want to. And if all of a sudden there's a remake or... I'm, I'm super, I'm gunning for remakes and reboots right now and I don't know why, uh, <laughs> it just feels right to me right now to try this method of, of being ambitious, like super ambitious with a property, because I think that everyone's being really safe with properties. I agree. Um, and so I'm, I'm really excited to try our way of making a movie with something that someone might not be, you know, they might have been afraid before that they'd lose all this money or whatever. Now we can try this method with something that people love and sort of expand it and make it, make it uh, fresh again. That's that's what I'm hoping for.
2: Yeah, is there a a project that uh, you have in mind? Oh, there's is, tons. Is there like a dream one? There's tons. Uh,
0: you know, I've been asking. I, I've I've got new management now, and I've just been reaching out to them and basically throwing things at the wall because there's a ton of them. Uh, everything from Disney's uh, the black hole. Yeah. To uh, let's see, I mean. To weekend at Bernie's.
2: <laughs> I noticed that poster in the movie.
0: Oh yeah, well that was a lot. You know, uh, there are thematic. You know, it's it's showing where Sarah's going to end up in the third act. You know, <laughs> she's going to end up <laughs> like one of her favorite movies. So,
1: yeah, that's incredible.
2: Um, I did not put those together until you just mentioned that. yeah. And now it's, yeah. Uh,
0: well, that's how dreams work, right? you get these little pings here and there of images and then they turn into something in the movie, whether it's you're in someone's office and there's a Terminator poster. And then all of a sudden you're in a nightclub that looks like tech noir. Like how does that happen? Right. <laughs> it's, that's the way, uh, dreams work. So I wanted it to be part of the DNA.
1: Yeah. I, I was going to say, I was actually going to bring that up as the, the Terminator poster. Like it just seems to be like, I'm like, that's an homage to something something's going on with this it's so well, subtle
0: it's again it's this thing that happens in dreams that we all know about that is if what your dream populates becomes the narrative you know when you're dreaming and you have a jar of peanut butter on the table in your dream if you look at it for too long in the dream all of a sudden the dream will become about peanut butter you know it's it's our brains are really interesting within the dream where you get fixated on something and it pulls you in and so i wanted to make a movie that had things like that some people see that and go oh he's putting a terminator poster in," cool you know but the reality is that that it's it's there to trigger something that leads the character and the audience down the road of that realm so
1: yeah that's i mean it's so thoughtful and I, I think that's one of those things that you can enjoy the story on like a, just, just that level. Hey, there's a cool thing. Uh, here's cool ideas. And then if for the, for the people that really like to think about ruminate on the movie, there's more for you to think about and engage with. And so, yeah, I, I to me it makes sense why the movies has, um, gotten the buzz that it has. It, it makes perfect sense. And, um, And then obviously you can can imagine
0: my, 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 my sort of like feelings, how weird it is that, you know, a movie that we shot with five people and I, you know, I edited in my apartment, did all the VFX in my apartment, you know, it's uh it's wild for it to go out into the world and be sort of, you know, in a hundred theaters or whatever it was in, you know, it's wild.
1: That is wild. It's really cool. I think like, I was afraid for so long that, that kind of filmmaking or the smaller films with big ideas was kind of going away. Um, and you, you do have like your high end, uh, sort of horror movies, like, you know, A 24 four does mm-hmm. some stuff, you know what I mean? Like, but that's still a medium budgeted movie.
0: Yeah. Like our movie had, you know, and just for people out there listening, the comparison would be, I mean, we probably had a third of their catering budget for our whole movie. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's, there's low budget indie cinema, and then there's, there's what we're doing. You know, there's a handful of filmmakers out there. I just watched a film by Travis Stevens um, called Jacob's Wife. It's another film, you know, so we're, there's a bunch of us out here doing super low budget uh, genre movies. And it's just, I think the way I talk, talk about it is you know, we have these benchmarks of masters who had, you know, for the same kind of movie, even Terminator. Let's talk about Terminator had probably, I think it was $9 million in the eighties.
1: Yeah. Which is a lot of money.
0: You'd, you'd struggle to find, I believe the budgets for every Blumhouse movie are 5 million and under. That could be incorrect, but I believe all the, so when we see a film that says Blumhouse, that's the, that's the cap. It's $5 million U.S. So it, when people say, you know, I like older movies better, it's not the filmmaker's fault.
1: <laughs> you know, <laughs> right.
0: it's a different market. It's a different market now. And it's harder to convince people to invest money because movies don't make as, money as, as much money as they used to. You know? It's just a, it's economics.
1: It's economics, but it's also head-scratching economics because the garbage that bigger studios put out. (laughs) You just, like, scratch your head. You're like, what the hell? Who made this decision? Who made these? Who greenlit this dumpster fire? Well, that's
0: also a a difference of the planet we live on now, too, is I like to say that there are people um that live in different universes now all on the same planet yeah because we've all been able to split apart and find our tribes online and whether it's film twitter where you know there's all a group of people on twitter who are almost all friends or acquaintances on there who all know each other and and sort of they are one universe and what they think is good or bad or whatever that's a that's a universe. And then there's people who just watch movies and don't give a hoot, and they're a different universe, you know, mm-hmm. like, there's all these different groups of people who, who have different opinions on what is great. I mean, look, it, we have we just this weekend, um, the release of Zack Snyder's uh, Justice League, you know, which was peer pressured by right. the social community into making this. And it's for them whole studio made a movie for this this universe of fans that isn't even necessarily the general populace right it's 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 really interesting how there are all the and that's another reason why i made come true is and that's why i'm surprised that it's sort of gotten a wider reach is that i made it for our group of people the people who like a certain kind of film and the fact that it's sort of reaching outside is making me really happy because I thought that couldn't happen anymore. I thought things were very, you know, from, you know, people who like Mandy are going to hopefully like my movie. You know, like it's like there's mm-hmm. a certain kind of person who's into certain kinds of things and, and, and keeping an open mind and certain kinds of visuals. And I thought that's where the film will live. And it's just made me very happy that it lives across different universes for different reasons. And th- I, I'm hoping that... The more ambitious we make these films, the more it pulls everyone back together again. Because I do think that there's a way, every once in a while, to make a movie that isn't just for people who are into art horror or gore horror or whatever it is. There's like yeah. all 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 of them together. Um, but it's uh, I think it's it's harder to get those things greenlit because they're they're um, the people who are in power. Are looking at these universes as as single entities and sort of trying to serve those single entities or whichever one is the biggest universe that can right. make them the most money whereas there's niche markets for everything now
1: yeah and unfortunately, and that wasn't the
0: case when we were younger it really right. wasn't the case it was like we were sort of all into the everyone's watching airwolf everyone's watching a team everyone's you know like it's like a That's one it. universe yeah. planet and now it's a multiverse
1: literally <laughs> yep uh, I think it's really interesting. I'm hoping that, and I think there is, and, you know, other than the, uh, what's that the the the, network or the streaming thing that only did Quibi or whatever it was that did ten minute or less yeah, episodes. Be- like, other than that, I, I really feel like, hopefully now, there can be budgets for every kind of interest uh, because a, a very engaged fan base can do so much for you know a small budget movie and i feel like a lot of um really well-loved movies especially the ones that have stood the test of time are coming from your what you're talking about with like it's made for just because someone loves it so much or it's for a very specific group of people and then it catches on because there's a maybe there's a a deeper human connection to it that people can relate to
0: well, that's the thing, is that I made the movie that I wanted to see on the big screen. And whether people like that or not, that's up to them. But that's what it was for. And I was hoping that there would be enough people who wanted a movie like I did, because when I see films like Mandy, Drive, whatever, whatever it is in the last few years, it seemed to be that, that you know, that, that hopefully would be my audience for this kind of movie. And like I said, it's just been wild to see that it's reached beyond that audience, so
2: movie for the cool kids
0: <laughs> well you know i'm not cool so i don't know if that's <laughs> uh, yeah. um uh i guess just a movie that that was different you know different and and didn't didn't come from a corporate
1: uh mandate right it's not it's not sterile yeah. um yeah, and yeah while exactly. s- some i think while some studio system may provide benefits because of budgets and teams of people helping um it could also really make something quite generic and well because
0: they have to make the money back and i understand that you know like this is when you get into these larger budgets in the past movie theaters were king so everyone's going to go see your movie if it's quality you know what i mean Mm -hmm. now your movie can be great and it still might not find an audience it's It's just really it's much harder now because the, because of the multiverse, so there isn't a unified sort of front of where people are all going to the movie theaters to watch the movie and they ha- they can only get it by going to the movie theaters or renting it on v h s Now they have to figure out well how are we going to make our money back on this thing and yeah. so I understand their fear, and the fear is what drives the decisions, yeah. And the decisions are what make things less interesting because the weirder it is, the bigger chance you might not make your money back. You know?
1: Yeah. I mean, it, it that's a I it makes total sense. I mean, you hate it, but it also makes yeah. sense, you know, like yep. um because if you dump hundreds of millions of dollars into something, you it's not a good business decision for it to fail, obviously. And it's uh,
0: failed a couple of times. I mean, like I I don't know the exact numbers, but I know that Blade Runner was not a, a success. Uh, you know, it wasn't a huge windfall by any means.
1: Yeah, I think its initial so, run it only made back a third of its budget.
0: You see, so it, the the audience is telling them that it's not correct to go and spend hundreds of millions of dollars on a weird you know, esoteric sci-fi. Like so, so I understand why they're not being made at that budget. So that's why I'm saying I'm excited that we can maybe you know if we use you know this method and a little bit expanded is, is get into that realm of making these weirdo movies that uh push the boundaries but also have the entertaining value because this was a very low budget one for my next one i'm going to obviously i want a little bit more money so we can uh expand on that but the hope is that we can make the kinds of movies that we grew up loving in mm-hmm. that space and there are a lot of filmmakers like myself who are doing a lot of the work themselves to offset uh, the lack of budget, and I think that's where we're going to see things get interesting. Much like, much like independent video games,
1: yeah, you know,
0: there's a new renaissance of independent video games because all of a sudden, uh, small teams can make really, really ambitious uh, uh, creations, and that's it's amazing. I'm I'm loving this period right now, so.
1: Yeah, I think at the end of the day, uh, what proves to be true, maybe, is that the quality of the idea, the experience, will always show through even on smaller budget things. Because if you look at, like, I think one of the most popular video games of all time is Minecraft, right, that is a ridiculously um, initially small game with it looks like the graphics came out of the 1997 mm-hmm. and it's grown into a multi-billion dollar enterprise all its own um, because of the yeah, core. Cause of... it's fun. Yeah. And yeah. I think with movies, it's the same thing, you know, with, with your movie or you be at Mandy, I think it, it strikes a very particular um, thing that people are excited about. And I think what's interesting about this movie and um, is that, its aesthetic to me it seems like a bit there's a lot of homage to the the 80s just with kind of how it looks you know with the the grain and the the coloring in it um and so i think it it strikes a very certain kind of like thing that we all remember growing up you know be it nightmare on elm street or you know any of the other kind of um darker horror movies and so it it's successful in that way while still being its own thing.
0: Well, that's the thing is that it's a, it's a mix. It's, it's a modernization. And I think that to me is sort of the key to, you know, to segue into the music style as well. Uh, Both the images and the sounds, they have elements of the past. And that's, you know, obviously an effort that that we made was to try and create a movie that Because I do think that media plays a huge part in our subconscious. Absolutely. And I wanted to have media elements from my subconscious layered all over the film. Um, And so while the cinematography, I mean, you can argue that some of it is um, Fincher-esque, which is really not 80s. But the the frame still looks 80s for some reason. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so while it's lit in in a modern way it's evoking the 80s and that's the idea with the music as well is I'm someone who never wanted to emulate the 80s I wanted to take the things that I love from it and and the tones and the emotion and turn it into something modern
1: Yeah I I definitely get I think that's really the the best way to go at it. and and definitely with your music I've never felt it was like you're you're just trying to do the '80s. It's pull pull the feeling, the moods from the '80s that it could evoke with the synthesizer, and then do modern music production. And so mm-hmm. the two things combined with you know your score with Electric Youth and what you're doing, it's just it's a whole experience because it, it I think it hits you on multiple levels, storytelling, emotional with the music and the ambience like
0: well that's the thing for me it's more about the way someone feels at the end of it and i think that's the same way i write music is it really doesn't matter what sounds or visuals if someone doesn't feel something at the end of the day from your your piece of art then you've sort of wasted your time it might look really cool it might sound really cool but if there's no emotional connection to people then it doesn't matter um and so some people again hate that aspect of this movie in particular is that it's built to evoke a response. And sometimes it's a bad one, you know, right. Case of, in the case of characters like Jeremy, some people, they get really riled up because I've placed a character from the eighties in a modern movie. And all of a sudden it makes them examine themselves and the way that they act and, and, and things that they've done. And it makes them really upset. Um, as it should. Jeremy is a character that uh, operates with the mindset of the past, and he does so uh, as characters did. And that really gets under people's skin, and it should. Um, but it's funny to watch uh, those kinds of reactions you know, make people hate the movie.
1: <laughs> that is so, um, so interesting. And, and yeah. now that you, you say that, I mean, it makes complete sense. And like, just looking at him on, on, in the movie, is just like, the fuck is, what's going, it just, it really, you know. He's skeevy. He's creepy.
0: And, but, but if you go back 20 years, he's the lead. And he's the, like, he, his decisions are all what characters in the 80s or 90s even would have done. And we would have just sort of, we wouldn't have cared you just would have went along with it. And I wanted to examine that by having a character act the same way they did in plain sight, you know, and it really does uh, get under people's skin and I'm glad.
1: <laughs> it's, I, uh, okay. Cause I was, it was, it's interesting. Cause I was, you know, I was watching some of the scenes with him, you know, obviously the, the light stocking and obviously the, the very compromised relationship that he had. I'm like, the fuck is going on here like I I was really trying to suss out like where were you coming from or what were you saying because it's like I'm like skeeving out on this dude like what the fuck are you doing and
0: well it you passed the test (laughs) because that's really it's interesting you know I've I've read some reviews online stuff where they're like oh I really like the romance and then other people this is the worst thing ever and other people who are like Anthony Burns should be put in the hospital, um, and it's great because it shows me that the mindset has changed, and you know sometimes violently, you know, and right. that's that's a great thing to me. It sucks that people have to think that I'm crazy, but it's great to me that it's not, we're now in a place where if a dude is, you know, using his his power power imbalance to his favor. That people are grossed out by that, and and that's what I wanted, you know. And and I wanted to have a romance, be and, and the character has to have that revelation too. Um, and you know, in earlier cuts of the film, there was a lot, there was a little, little bit more in the front end of the film that showed sort of what was going on at home. And ultimately, we decided to just sort of dive into the movie, much like a Philip K. Dick novel would, um, and just place you in it. And not explain all that backstory, but you still know that there's a trauma there, um, and it's, you know the things that Sarah has trouble with a lot of people have trouble with. It's hard to navigate sometimes villains, because villains can be very, very nice. Yeah and, and, and that's, that's Jeremy's way. He's somebody who he'll, he'll do what he needs to do to get what he need, needs out of life. and that's kind of the scariest kind of villain for me. I mean, he's not a bad person. He's, he's programmed the way he's programmed. Like he's definitely the villain in my eyes between her, sort of relationship. I,
1: that's, okay, so that, that comforts me a, a lot more that that's the, the vibe you were going for because it's like, fuck. Well, it's
0: very subtle. And I think because I don't judge his character in the film, Sarah judges him. And that's why the ending has what it has. Uh, her subconscious wakes the hell up. And you realize that it woke up at a certain point in the film, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, so uh, yeah, we won't do any spoilers. But yeah, her subconscious has woken up, and it woke up at a, at a very inopportune moment for Jeremy. In-
1: indeed, <laughs> in- indeed, <laughs> did it. And I yes. like, I like the. F- it's interesting because then basically you're taking tropes and you're taking kind of the, the typical white hero thing and you're flipping it on its ear and taking those same, examining those same kinds of behaviors and yeah. contextualizing as it's, the gross thing that they actually are.
0: Yes. Yeah. But because I don't judge them, uh, much like, you know, one of my favorite directors is Michael Mann. Uh, I'm not, you know, I'll say of a certain era, Michael Mann of a certain era. <laughs> uh, and and the reason is that he, he would examine criminals and, and, people who are doing bad things without judging them. And I think I wanted to examine cinema in the same way. You know, like these are characters and things uh, from my cinematic dreams, uh, but they're flawed and I want to present them as that. So.
1: Uh, I, I appreciate that. I actually just read this article about um, the examination of Big Trouble in Little China about how John Carpenter basically took the white male power fantasy and inverted it in that movie Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. so you know like he's just basically a complete fool he's you know he's completely confident for no reason but if you look at all of the things that happen in the movie it's not because of him but he gets sort of this praise at least in his own mind uh for these things that are happening and he's often making it worse (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: and I think that's why it confused everyone when it came out. Uh, John Carpenter is amazing for that, for subverting uh, those expectations. He's always had he's had a great, you know, there's always a story underneath the story that is really, really great.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, so what you're talking about reminds me of that, and I appreciate that because I like, I like things on a surface that you can look at it one way. But there's enough there mm-hmm. to make you kind of examine like something seems weird about this, and then just yeah. further reflection, you can go oh shit there's there's a lot more to this than yeah,
0: the th- first time i had, I had really, really understood that was when I watched American Psycho by Mary Heron, and yes. that movie works so perfectly as a you know a horror and a scary movie, uh like a thriller, but it also works even better as a satire on, you know, toxic masculinity and this garbage culture. Uh, it's so funny. I remember cracking up in the theater. Um, it was so, so great. And, and that movie really, really changed sort of my outlook on the kinds of movies that I, I would hopefully make when I was older.
1: Yeah. I think, um, like when I watched the movie and I read the book, I would laugh out loud because the scenes are so absurd and over the top and people would think that I'm crazy because I thought it, I thought it was a comedy. Like I think American psycho is a comedy. Like <laughs> it is a comedy. I know that. It's a was, comedy about how gross people are. Right.
2: <laughs> but the <laughs> problem is, there's a lot of people, they don't see this aspect of it. And,
0: well, and that's the okay. argument that you yeah. sort of get into with 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 censorship, censorship, right? Is that for the people who don't get it, is it is it scary to put it out into the world, you know? Um, but I mean, what are we supposed to do then? And I think that's something that we're wrestling with right now yeah. in media is this idea that if we put negative things out into the world, uh, should we just pull back and not put any negative things out into the world? Because even you know that one person who sees Joker or whatever, and gets this idea that they should go around and start shooting people up. Is it worth it to have a Joker? And obviously I say, yes, it is. Because for one, for every one of those crazy people, you know, so many people, I'm, I'm not saying anything about Joker. I'm not a huge fan of Joker, but I think that you shouldn't censor art. Um, I think that, uh, it's important to let people express their ideas because it's how we know that bad things exist. Yeah, You know, when we start pulling back, uh, a great example is if you start, what, what if you don't, uh, discipline your child, you know, how do they know what's good and bad? You know, you just have to, you have to let people know that there is an evil and express what is necessary. And it's up to people to become more educated. That's really the goal.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, you bring up a really interesting um point and, and I often think about this myself where like, you know, the, the balance of, of art and what you should put out. And then, you know, now with so many creators of the art being very, you know, uh, not great people and that, you know, does, does the art stand on its own? Do, do you take the creator into account with that art? How do you balance those things? And then, you know, and I literally had that thought as like, what do you put in the world? Do you stop putting bad things out and and my and my reaction was no, you know, like it also has to stand as a uh snapshot of the era and the time and I think art is very reflective of the time that it's being made and also you know capturing horrific things like <clears throat> you wouldn't censor the Holocaust because it's bad. We have to know that that existed in that terrible yes. state thing and to censor it because it might hurt somebody's feelings you should be offended by it. you should be outraged you should be horrified by it because it is all of those things
0: yeah yeah no i that's that's why you know i i do not believe in censoring the artist's vision do i think people should go out and watch woody allen movies no (laughs) (laughs) you know uh and 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 i think that's the, the separation of art i you know I don't think there is a separation those are expressions of woody allen and 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 polanski's movies are expressions of him Mm -hmm. uh whether or not you want to engage with those that's up to you um but just know where it's coming from you're watching you're watching the film of a child rapist you know like you Mm -hmm. that watch it take it for what it is uh should we strike it from the record no um Should it make a lot of money and empower them? No. And I think that's the thing. If if it went out into the world, hey, this is the new movie from child rapist Woody Allen. uh, I don't think anyone would be lining up to see it. Mm.
1: (laughs) And, you know, and that's ultimately the the great thing about living in a free society, quote-unquote, is that we could choose to engage with art or not. At the end of the day... Your vote, if you will, is your dollar, and if you and it, put your dollar towards again, something, it comes,
0: yeah, again, it comes back to education. It's about knowing who Woody Allen is. You know, it's not that Woody Allen, uh, his his movies shouldn't exist. It's about knowing who Woody Allen is, so that when you can make the educated decision. So for me, it's always about education, knowing where something came from, knowing who that person is, and being educated enough to navigate the scenario. Yeah, so that I think what people are responding to is that there are these systems in place once someone becomes worth enough money that they are then like a piece of gold to other people and they need that gold to stay gold. And that's, that's what we're slowly starting to break down is that we don't need people who are garbage as gold.
1: <laughs> right. And yeah. I, I think that's m- just as much of a problem or issue is that system that protects those people, Harvey Weinsteins and et cetera. because they're worth money they're worth a lot of money to someone else you know and i think the good
0: thing about what's happening is that now people hopefully will not place value on people who are dirtbags
1: (laughs) i don't know and this is for both of you um i feel like the the era of the rock star or the the great superstar is dying Um, you see more and more actors and musicians falling from grace and being held accountable finally for their, for the behavior that was encouraged five, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Um, And there's a real consequence now to those actions are catching up. At least that's my perception of things that's starting to happen.
0: Yeah. You know, it's, we're on a we're on pendulum swings these days that's how i feel you know and i feel like we're on pendulum swings towards good hopefully uh but we're sort of ping-ponging back and forth between extremes yeah and i hope that one day we'll end up somewhere good and i think that that's where we're headed um and i mean the era of the rock star is silly anyways but i mean you can argue that it's just a different kind of rock star now yeah the the rock stars that. Again, we'll go back to the universes. We're all in the universe where rock stars and actors are the leads and and the most powerful people, right? Well, there's a whole other universe right now where influencers are the most powerful. And they're still trying to do the vapid shit that rock stars and actors used to do. (laughs) And so there's just a different playground and a different universe in which that's happening. Uh, I don't think it went away that people want to be someone else who gets to do whatever they want. I mean, there are guys on on Instagram like, let's go with Dan Bilzerian, biggest jerk on planet Earth. <laughs> Tons of followers. People want to be him shooting guns and having sex with porn stars. Complete waste of space. Uh, but he's looked up to by many, many people. So I think that there's always going to be these people who are above the law. And Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know where we're headed here, but I, I'm, I'm, I am very hopeful in the younger generations to be uh, holding these people more accountable. Yeah. Uh, but I hope that they don't get sucked into a different kind of uh, structure yeah. that imprisons them again, because I mean, I feel like kids are being um, sucked into this whole social media nightmare yeah. of wanting to be a certain kind of person right you know? yeah, yeah so I don't, I don't know if it, uh, it's a, just a different whole it's a whole different uh, universe of celebrity yeah and yes movie stars and and musicians are no longer the top of the food chain but okay. that's our universe right. see like it's like we're oh, wait what's going on here this is all gone yeah but there's a whole other one going yeah. on. It's just not one we're
1: aware of. Yeah. It's just, it seems like to me, and, and you're absolutely right. I mean, as far as like it, the the cultural shift has reinvested what it values. It just seems like we have a dialogue now to, to be able to express things like, you know, sexual assault or, or abuse of power, where, you know, a lot of those things not that long ago, you couldn't even there was no vernacular, there's no way to even talk about it or bring it up. We're now if influencer a, you know, assaults someone, they have a, a powerful platform to be outed and be taken down. Whereas before there's a lot of suppression, I suppose of that.
0: Yeah. You know, I just hope that the accountability sticks, mm-hmm. you know, what, what happened to this guy who I think his name's Logan Paul. Is this yeah. The guy who, yeah. Who, who didn't even go out to like the suicide forest? And, yes. like make some joke. Like he's just like tasteless. I, I believe he's still got a career where he's making tons and tons of money. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? It, it's it's weird. It's it's that's why I'm saying I think there's just new and he's worth a lot of money to, Again, a group of people who need him to make money, and so they'll figure out ways in which to sweep things under the carpet. And I think it's just about education, having people understand that there is there is corporations and people trying to keep these celebrities and 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 money makers in place once you know that you know what's bullshit what's real yeah i think that's that's the savviness that i'm hoping takes over is that everyone knows that it's all just a show
1: (laughs) right it's a
0: hilarious show
1: i think uh what people what i was told growing up uh, which uh, is always um, wrong, true for me is don't trust anyone that wants your vote or wants your money.
0: Yeah, well, and every and in social media, it's all about votes, right? Yeah, it's all about likes, so and that's what people want. So yeah,
1: interesting. Man,
0: it's it, it's funny <laughs> when you go back. I, I read a lot of old magazines just for fun, and I'm blown away by what people used to say. There was a, there was a reality <laughs> to to celebrity that isn't even around anymore. And I think that's the scary part is when you sh- when you strip it back to, you know, now everyone must say only the good things. Uh, you don't even know what anyone's actually thinking, <laughs> because yeah. I was I was just reading like an old star log. Don't ask me why. But like William Friedkin was, I think, in there just like r- ranting about other filmmakers and actors that he didn't like working with. And I was like, it's so refreshing. Because now no one would ever do that. would <laughs> well, be like, my career's <laughs> over, you know? Like, but, and even I was watching an old Brian De Palma where he was just ripping into another filmmaker in an interview. I was like, this is refreshing. This is his, this is his opinion, you know? People don't express their true opinion anymore. And that's, right. that's, that's kind of a scary place too. Yeah. Because you don't know what anyone's actually thinking. They're just being good, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And
0: that's why it was important to me to put a character like Jeremy in my movie. Like he's he's someone who exists and you gotta know that those those guys exist and that they do as they do because they're they're kind of the scariest ones, the nice guys.
1: Yes, I was just gonna say the villainy of the nice guy. And I I think because they're I really like him being the villain in this movie because uh it really like defies your expectation. You're you're being led one way and in reality, the true villain is, is there the whole time. And I like the fact that the behaviors that are shown are not okay. And he gets called out in the movie a bit. And then ultimately, you know, meets a very specific a- end because of his actions. And I, love, and I love that component of it. Instead of being, you know, the big, bad, spooky monster, right? The, the Freddy Krueger or, or whatnot. It, the, the, the person's right there in front of you the whole time.
0: Well, I would argue, and I'm not going to say that this is the right answer for the film, but I would argue that the shadowy creatures are actually there to help her more than they are to harm her. It's just about what what you perceive as the villain and what you don't.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Because, you know, in, well, I don't, I guess, the movie hasn't been out long enough for me to really want to spoil some of the stuff uh, in it. Yeah. Um, And I'm
0: hoping people will have conversations about this stuff. Like, I don't want to ever tell people what's right and what's wrong. Yeah. can have their own interpretations but uh i think i think personally that the shadows uh, by the end are definitely there
1: to help her yeah and i and i love i love that idea i'll put it as an idea as opposed to that's exactly how it's supposed to be because let people interpret as they want and i think that's the best way to go leaving things open to interpretation but you know by the by the the actions and kind of what you see throughout the movie that makes sense in reality but you're thrown off by sort of their menacing presence and you question it
0: well that's the thing is that just like jeremy you're thrown off by tropes and i think that's where you know people really get hung up in the film sometimes when i'm using a traditional method but delivering a different message Mm mm-hmm you know, and I think that for me was the most fun is using traditional methods to bring up, you know, about a different kind of message in that scenario um, because you're used to tropes delivering you one thing. But when a trope is delivering you something completely opposite, you get confused and you go like, what is what is this director thinking like that this guy's like a great guy to get involved with? <laughs> in fact, uh, one moment uh, we had to change due to, you know, potential ratings Um, uh, was I wanted to sort of embarrass the character of Jeremy. And that's why, you know, mid, 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 you know, music video sex scene, it stops. And, you know, like, like like it just goes, and then it goes from like the most, you know, cliched love theme to like, oh, this is gross. (laughs) You know, like I now feel gross. And um, in the original sort of cut, you saw his uh, his member, and it was in a in a way to sort of like just really further uh, cement that this was in like a a derailment, you know.
1: That's I really, man, yeah, I I really like that. Those are some really good <laughs> thought provoking uh, things that you've thrown in there, and and I'm actually very happy that that is your intention, because like obviously not knowing not knowing you personally and not you know knowing a whole it's like well well shit what is this because we live in an age where people want to make um content maybe to be salacious or tasteless just because they can and i'm really happy that it it wasn't that way that there was a a very clear um thought-provoking thing and the things that i were feeling is is what you were that's what you were trying to do
0: Well, yeah, look at how she gets manipulated. You know, listen, I mean, (laughs) I'm putting a lot of ideas in one movie. And I think that's, you know, that's sort of in my nature. Uh, I I don't want to make things boring. And I I just want to sort of do as I do. And I wanted this movie to sort of be built, you know, out of my own personal subconscious and, and hope that other people were in that same realm. But she gets manipulated by watching a video of his, you know, attraction to her you know which is how it happens for us Mm -hmm. it's how our ideas at least myself you know like you can you can watch something and and it can change your mind um and i wanted to express that like up until that moment she sees that she's kind of not into this but that's what changes her and i find that humans myself included (laughs) uh are just we're easily manipulated and it sucks, (laughs)
2: you know,
0: it sucks. It's part of our programming. We're easily manipulated. Uh, and we can, we can be easily taken down a road. We don't want to, if, if something is presented a certain way. And I wanted to do that and it's hard to, to watch Sarah do that. And I think that's what people respond to, but that's what I wanted. I wanted to have these moments and all these things, you know, it's like a puppy dog face at the cafe. Like it's that stuff that is used, you know, uh, and yeah, <laughs> it's, it's all there on purpose to, to examine all the tropes that we grew up watching in cinema. Cause it is, like I said, it's a cinematic dream. And so it has all the tropes in there. Uh, I'm just trying to be fresh with how I use them.
1: Yeah, that's, that's absolutely amazing. Let's talk up a little bit about um, the score and, and work with, with electric mm-hmm. uh, youth. Uh, Cause I think, the music component i feel is a very critical part of the movie um and yeah, it's,
0: it's pretty much a music video <laughs> yeah
1: and i i was actually i was talking to somebody else um about you were just you know discussing uh you know, that we're going to interview today, you today and and i as i was thinking about you know your career and and things that have happened it almost seems like i don't know if like movies are are, uh, or if the music is a consequence of you trying to make movies, or movies are a consequence of making music, but they seem to go hand in hand with you in, in your career. Am I? Yeah,
0: they, they, I've, I've always done them in tandem, like from a very early age, you know, whether it was you know, VHS recorders and, and, and like Casios. <laughs> do you know, like I've just yeah. always done it together. And we had like an old Commodore Amiga, and I would do the titles on that. Like I've just always been interested in all the aspects of there's something about movies where you know the audio visual when it's in unison and it's working together, it's so powerful and I sort of wanted to be able to navigate and yield that um, um, so yeah it, it is it is something that developed and over the years together um, my early shorts that I used to do. Um, I was always doing the soundtrack, so I would go and rent a keyboard because I couldn't afford one, and rent a four track <laughs> and do the soundtrack, and then borrow a friend's you know camcorder because I couldn't afford one of those either, and then edit the two things on VHS, two VHS things. And so it's always been this thing that is developed together, and, and I think that that's why there's no way for me to not score my stuff uh, in some capacity. So even when I have other people come and help, work on stuff it's something that i just have to have a hand in
1: do you consider yourself more of a filmmaker or more of a musician
0: oh man that's a tough one uh honestly i think i I just through what makes me more money in my life i have to be a filmmaker uh because i've been doing commercials and worked, worked at mtv for a number of years and so more visuals have made me money In my life, music was a hobby that helped in the creation of those things. And then um, over the years, like now it's sort of, it's getting to about a 50-50. But I'm not really a musician. You know, what's weird, I'm not a great musician. I can play things and I play guitar and I play drums and bass and all this stuff.
1: But but you're not not a musician. musician.
0: (laughs) Well, no, no, but like, I'm not... Like, if, if you put me in a band, I'd be the worst in the band. Um, so I, I, I think I consider myself more of a composer than a musician. Sure. Um, and then I'm, I'm lucky that I live in an era where I can tell the computer how to play things for me. Um, because if I had to play all the parts for some of this stuff, it just would never happen. Right. <laughs> so I'm lucky that I can just type it out and, and have it be something that exists um, and sounds correct. So, so, on, so, but on the flip side of that, as a filmmaker, I have to use lenses, cameras, all this stuff. So I think, you know, I'm way more technically proficient as a, you know, director of photography, et cetera, et cetera, than I am as a musician. And it just so happens that, like that. Yeah. So I think I am more of a filmmaker than I'm sure, but I can't separate the two now. Right. They're, they're, so it's just like, I'm an audio maker of things. But I, I I've recently um, done some composing uh, outside of my own films for other people, so that's been fun to actually awesome. be hired to do that. So I just did a movie called The Education of Frederick Fitzgerald, um, starring Dylan O'Brien and Mike Mike Monroe, and I think it comes out in like June or July. So that's that gonna... was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. that's gonna yeah. be exciting. I think it's I think it's my one of my favorite things. Like that, I think I've. Made the most original sounds of my career in that
1: soundtrack. So, so it, it's interesting that I I like the your your viewpoint on yourself, and it's I, I think it's a little bit ironic that many musicians find you to be their their sort of uh, you know main inspiration themselves for their musical career. You know, through
0: Ooh. Your... <laughs> so. Well, then... They need a new inspiration. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you make, you make excellent work, and I think you were doing uh, these retro kinds of musical things before it was really prevalent. And, I was doing them when
0: people thought I was an idiot. <laughs> yes.
1: And now people look back on it. Like one of our one of our close friends, uh, North Innsbruck, he got original motion picture soundtrack, and that was a thing that re-inspired him to make oh, no. music again. Oh, was no, that was I that album? Know. And then talking to a few other buddies, um, that are that are professional musicians themselves, and they're like, "Pilot Priest is it? That's 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 the what thing for me. That's the reason why I do this."
0: Can you apologize to your friend? I think I, I think I uh, <laughs> accidentally uh, roasted him one day. Uh... <laughs> <laughs>
2: yes. No, <laughs> uh, okay.
0: No. No. I'm really sorry. Uh, <laughs> I posted uh, a unoriginal motion picture soundtrack and it was the cover of their new uh album yes. be- because uh it's yeah it's pretty close to
1: oh absolutely album. and it's meant to be a very very blatant homage <laughs> okay okay i didn't know that i didn't know yeah, that it was, now, uh...
2: he, he, when he showed it to me i was like what the, what is this <laughs> why
0: <laughs> yeah well i apologize I, you know sometimes i'm i'm just like a a jerk in that in that instance yeah. <laughs> But they don't mean to be yeah um, it's really just, you know it's weird for me because things have changed so much that uh, homage is now copying <laughs> like it's like yeah. uh it's it's gotten to this place where where people don't realize that like it i don't know i'm i'm i guess i'm an old man i get frustrated with i you know what i want i want people to be out freshing me do you like, know what i mean like yeah like do an album cover where i'm like oh man i didn't even think about that and that will make me feel very excited. And but but and maybe you know maybe that's the way filmmakers will feel about my film. And, mm-hmm. and, and I'm I'm doing the equivalent, you know, in in sort of using songs from Manhunter and things like that. So maybe I'm just as 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 guilty. And yeah. so it's hard it's hard to know. But uh, apologize yeah. to your friend. I don't mean to be <laughs> jerking.
1: <laughs> I don't I don't think he has any hard feelings because I you know the this i I would
2: say no apologies needed
1: needed yeah i think he knew he was pressing he was pressing his luck with how close it was to that album um (laughs) but i think for him the conversations i've had is is the the release of this album is sort of the culmination of everything for a certain time period and it felt very appropriate for him to pay tribute if you will to that album to wrap it all together
0: Well then, then, I, then I'm, I'm humbled. But like I said, I, it's it's weird. I feel weird being in a position where someone would really be into the music enough to want to go and do that kind of music because, like I said, like, do you think I pay my bills with my music?
1: <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, the, the landscape is very different, uh, and I think that's why people get, up, you know, like myself, get up and you, you go, oh man, like if someone else is making money off of your, your art, you know, it's a, it's a hard navigation. It's a hard navigation mm-hmm. to go through that realm and go like, okay, if I myself can barely pay the bills with my music and then someone else is going along and doing something like yours, you get like, Oh man. But then I just got to realize there's so many pieces of the pie now that you, know, you can't even worry
1: about that. Yeah. But, what is, what is that quote from Picasso? like good artists borrow, great artists steal. <laughs>
0: i know i don't know if i agree with that you know uh or i hope that that's not the case yeah um, that obviously but, i'm
1: poking a little bit um so yeah it, anyways you know it, it to yeah. me the my my point being is that you know for you and your attitude towards it or your your thoughts and, and a lot of people really love and resonate with your music um and it's interesting to see this journey for you where you know it's tied to your cinematic expressions and how important that is and how everything is is tied together and you know I think movies take so well, they're long emotional to make. they're emotional
0: yeah. expressions and I think maybe I'm hoping that that's what people are responding to and you know it's not the synthesizers it's not the 80s it's not that stuff it's that each time I sit down to write a song or make a movie or whatever it is I'm trying to hit on an emotional touchstone and whatever that is, however that happens whether the movie makes sense or it doesn't make sense. Or the song is weird. or Whatever it sounds like, it's eighties, nineties, whatever. I'm trying to. There's like an emotion I'm trying to expel from myself, and and I'm hoping that that's what people enjoy more than you know. Oh, that sounds like an eighties
1: song. You
2: know. Yeah.
1: Kyle, do you have anything for Anthony while we're uh, here?
2: I got a lot of things. <laughs> so, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring us way back to the beginning, talking yeah. about budgets on the movies here. If I didn't know, if I hadn't had any idea, if I didn't know any better, when watching this movie, I would have never thought that a a budget constraint of any kind was applied to the movie at all, just because of the way it looks. So I would say. It it was
0: shot on a Sony DSLR. (laughs) That's
1: amazing.
2: (laughs) And the the visuals, and you you were saying that you were there painting all the sets i can only just imagine like the yeah, grand it was fun
0: scale. it was fun it was fun it was fun to build all that stuff we you know every single piece of tack in the movie is hand spray painted by me and nick <laughs> my producer so
1: that's crazy
2: that must have been a huge undertaking
0: to yeah every it. day after location scouting we come back to the garage do another Round of painting and pulling the stuff apart, and then adding decals. And but again, it's it's part of the love of, of the creation and wanting it to be something much bigger than where
2: it
1: starts. You know. Awesome.
2: Yeah. Uh, Some of the uh, oh, I'm not done here. Hold oh, on. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> and how? Oh, I want to say this. How much? was visual effect and how much was actual set for, I don't know if I want to call it dream sequence as we're seeing the shadow characters, as we're oh, going forward, going through doors mm-hmm. and seeing different things. Uh, how, how much was practical? How much was, you know, computer?
0: It was 100% CG. Okay. Yeah. There was, and that, that was part of the design is that I knew that, we wouldn't be able to film something that looked as uncanny as we could create in in CG. And to my recollection, I've never felt like a movie sort of made the leap to dreams in a way that represented them like my dreams are. And so I just, you know, we made the decision that we
2: would just do it while CG. I couldn't tell at points. So,
0: yeah like, at points yeah yeah definitely there are times when you can and there's sort of no way around it especially on the budget that we're on you know very small crew so when we went into post i invited a couple of friends on board to help me build assets and, and build up the dream elements and then i would go back in and like them and animate them and all the rest of that stuff um but yeah without them helping me and and yeah it was it was it was a long period of R&D to try and create the looks and make sure that they uh, evoked, again, it's about creating an emotional connection with those things. You can make cool-looking stuff, but to try and make uh, something that really gets under people's skin, was uh, that was the, the entertainment.
2: You did a very good job there. And <laughs> uh, the other thing is the, the costuming in it, especially like the sleep suit (laughs) how did that come about
0: so the sleep suit I have some sketches on my phone Um, we went through a number of people uh, trying their hand at the sleep suit and I I, I try to be very open with uh, creatives when I bring them you know into the film stuff that we're working on and just sort of let them go sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't and in the costume department it was just I had a very specific idea I wanted it to feel uh like something that Mobius would have designed. Uh, and we eventually uh, found a great designer, uh, Evan Bidell, who actually won Project Arnway in Canada. Uh, and he came on board, and with my sketches, he came up with something just completely awesome and did a great job building those out uh, to look something retro, weird, new, future, and comfortable enough to sleep.
2: It looks really comfy.
0: Yeah, they—they they're, they are. I've tried them on.
2: And <laughs> I was like, and with the helmet, I was getting Mega Man vibes too. I never thought of the Mobius aspect of it until. Like, yeah, yeah, until no, I no. totally see it.
0: Yeah, yeah, they're pretty much Tron suits almost, you know.
1: Yeah, that was the oh, other that thing suit. that I thought.
0: Yeah. Listen, there's no accident. I love Tron. Tron is one of the first movies that really like blew my childhood mind. Like just blew it wide open. I was like, "Wow, you can create an entire universe in a movie." So.
2: And then, the, as far as the costume goes, the other thing that I have to inquire about is the giant pimp glasses that the doctor was wearing.
0: Well, so those are those are, those are uh, gazelles, and those are worn by you know everyone from Run DMC to uh, George Romero, and for in this movie, there's sort of an homage to George Romero, and you know many of the characters in like David Cronenberg's films. But I also love that they looked like television sets, um, and because this oh, yeah. is about looking through, you know, big the monitors. I wanted, I just love the idea of monitor reflecting in monitor. It's just like a, a great visual. And so while there's a retro aspect to it, I just personally love the idea of having just all these visual cues to to show that we're watching dreams within dreams
2: amazing i, th- I think eric that's those are the pressing questions that all right. i had there we go
0: and well, i put my prescription uh in in those glasses so sometimes i walk around the house with those on and my wife oh that's me, amazing uh... <laughs> <laughs> she gives me the look <laughs> what are you doing but I will tell you they're great because you can't see your frames. So it's like full, you know, full immersion. Full that, That's a awesome. without. Yeah.
1: All right, Anthony. I really want to thank you for coming on the show and talking yeah, about we the talked movie. It's an yeah. <laughs> it's great. Really enjoyable. Um I really just want to say congratulations. Well, thank on the reception you. It's, been, for the it's been a
0: pleasure talking with you guys. I yeah. I don't I don't know fully know what this this podcast is usually about, but I'm sure it's not
2: about Woody Allen. <laughs> 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 you're 100 percent right there all right but here we
1: go we got the deep dive so there yeah. you
2: go yeah i really appreciate that
1: um yeah, man. so until next time this is eric and this is cut thanks anthony yeah Paradise I can yeah, yeah, Paradise I